Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And now it's time for me to welcome my guest, first time on the show, Dan Kish, who is a distinguished Senior Fellow at the Institute of Energy Research, better known as IER. Dan, you have 25 years of experience on congressional committee focus, specifically in the natural resource and energy policy. You also um, are a principal resource committee in the House and Senate for over six years as Chief of Staff to the Republicans on the House Resource Committee and four years on the Senate Energy and Natural Resource Committee. So this is your first time on the show. Welcome to the All Patch Radio Show. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, we're really excited when we can get, you know, we do have a lot of people on the show of all different backgrounds, but it's really exciting when we get someone who can really tell us what's happening in their testimony in Capitol Hill and D.C., because that's where the policies are, are really rolling out, heavy regulation. And we, as the American people, really need to understand where they're going and how it affects us, you know, with our energy policy. So I'm glad to have you on the show. Let's start with, um, I asked you to be a guest on the show because because some time back, not so long ago, um, in I believe it was um, April, that our Secretary of Energy, Granholm, uh, announced that, uh, they, that the military, she wants to double down on electrifying our U.S. military vehicles by 2023. Um, and so that's kind of a um, a startling remark considering that this is the military we're talking about and and it seems like it's pretty hard to just get a solid energy policy for all of us on our day-to-day much less something as important as the military so i'm going to give you an opening statement of you know what did you what does your organization feel about her saying that the military is going to be electrified by 2030 how likely is that coming from the secretary of energy well Honestly, uh, that is that borders on the crazy uh, when it comes to our military. The, the U.S. military is the largest consumer of energy, lo- the largest energy consuming entity in the world. Um, and she appears to have backed off a little bit because immediately things come to mind. I, I give you an, ex- an example. An M1A2 Abrams tank could support 15,400 watt. Uh, solar panels. And I I don't want to get too in the weeds, but uh, in essence, it could create 6,000 watts. The existing, uh, which sounds like a lot, except the existing engine uh, for that same tank produces 1.6 million watts. Uh, So that's the kind of scale we're talking about in terms of electrification uh, uh, and obviously batteries don't have the range. You're talking about enormous equipment. Uh, and, and it's our first and foremost and primary role of the federal government is defend the nation. And uh, it's all premised on the idea that somehow we have to stop using oil, which, of course, 
is absurd because the United States does it better than anybody else in the world. We've weaned our way off of other people after decades of uh, saying that we import too much oil from the Middle East. And these sorts of policies all stem from uh, a belief that uh, we need to stop using oil. And, and at the peak of our dependence on foreign oil, our reliance upon the Middle East was 23% of our oil supply. They're talking about electrification of our military, and that's 80% dependent on China, because China makes the batteries, China makes the solar panels, China makes the polysilicon. Poly, uh, China controls the processing of the minerals, which we can't mine because of our green movement here in the United States, even though we have them. And uh, they've been working on this a long time in the hopes that we would uh, step into the breach and demand them, our politicians would, uh, these green devices. And in essence, they control the supply chain. So uh, what are we doing here is the question I think that we're all asking uh, Secretary Gramholm. I think I want to kind of back up just a little bit because, you know, we keep hearing stories that uh, China is preparing to invade Taiwan. And at the same time, the Biden administration seems to be very friendly to putting us in the position you just mentioned. Um, if China was to invade Taiwan, that all of these chips and all of this electrification is coming out of, I mean, it changes, I think the war changes from, it's no longer on the battlefield, it's a war that occurs in our currency and most definitely our supply chain. So when we think about the fact that this Secretary of Energy and this administration who seems to be somewhat friendly to China would put us in a position of wanting to convert in 2030 for us to be reliant on China, and yet they're talking about invading Taiwan, that Taiwan is the one main producer of our supply chain, it seems, it, it doesn't even seem possible that we're at this discussion point. Can I get a comment from you on that? Am I saying something that's way out in left field because this is the truth? This is what's, what we're talking about. What, what you're saying is common sense. And uh, that, that that's precisely what you're saying. Um, this makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. After, after spending decades, decades, and all kinds of policy changes and uh, Congress and various administrations to try to wean ourselves from uh, countries that we considered uh, unfriendly to the United States. Uh, we switch policies about that, and having achieved that that energy dominance that we did uh, only recently. Uh, we're now switching off that, saying, "Okay, we've accomplished that. Now let's switch and and." become dependent upon our number one adversary in the world, and make no mistake about it, they they are. Mm -hmm. uh, they are. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and becoming much, much more dependent upon them, almost four times as dependent upon them for our energy future as we are, or as we ever were on the Middle East for oil. Um, it, it, it seems like a suicide mission. Honestly, uh, and it's I, so for the life great. of me, can't understand it. Can't understand it at, at all, except that it, this is where they're going. And and so, um, watching them 
watching them struggle with these various hypocrisies of their own programs is is uh, damaging if you care about the country because ultimately uh, these things are are bad for our nation. They're bad for our economy. They're bad for our, for the people that uh, work in uh, oil and gas and. And by the way, China's burning 52%. They burn more coal than the rest of the world combined to make solar panels for the United States and windmill parts and batteries and inverters and you name it, transformers, all necessary because we're going to this uh, moving uh, towards this green transition, which nobody ever voted for in Congress. Uh, nobody ever voted for this. This is just a... a by by sheer will and uh, and by regulatory overstep. Well, you know, um, Dan, we had last week um, we had a State of Energy in Corpus Christi, in which the keynote speaker was produced by Shell Magazine. Keynote speaker was Mike Summers, who is the president of API, the largest trade association in the world on oil and gas, and his um, discussion was really trying to help. Because, uh, you know, Corpus Christi is a hub for energy. They have, they are fortunate to have the port of Corpus Christi, which is the number one crude exporter in the United States and number two in LNG. They are definitely an energy port. And he went and he said how important energy reform will be if, if we can get something through. Uh, the cover of Shell Magazine had on it, it featured the Willow Project, which was a perfect example for readers to read how things do not get passed or barely get passed, if you will, on oil companies trying to make long-term projects that cost billions of dollars in the midst of when we when we have a sea change in our government that they can come in and just change uh, contracts, millions of dollars, billions of dollars in investments. And we saw it with Biden coming in and signing an executive order the first day in office with the Keystone Pipeline. So the Willow Project was scaled back. The Willow Project barely passed in its form. It was almost killed. And so what Mike Summers' point was is that energy reform is vital. Now, that being said, your institute, you guys look at energy policies and one of your policy directors, Kenneth Stein, actually testified to the House Natural Resource Committee Subcommittee on Oversight and Investigations. And he was talking about, um, and I want to quote him because I don't want to misquote him, but his opening statement puts us right back what you were saying about how our energy policy seemed to be making no sense. If you, if you consider the history of where we went uh, in the 70s. So if you were born in the 60s, you remember the 70s. And when we thought we were running out and the long, long lines that pursued after that and just the, the complete breakdown of modern society in many ways. When we get back from break, Dan, I'm going to read his statement and we're going to break down his statement and why. But I want that goes back to the military statement and what you were saying about our military. We really need to start thinking energy reform, energy policy. We really need to be informed on who are we electing? Do they have strong energy policies? And I want to remind our listeners, I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. I'm actually an independent. But one thing that Donald Trump did say was he said the biggest threat to us is China. 
And it seems as though we have an, a, an administration that does not seem to feel the same way. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium, plus you can earn double dividends that will go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at TexasMutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. Attention small and medium-sized business owners. Are you feeling overwhelmed with back office tasks like payroll, workers' compensation, federal regulations, safety laws, employment standards, and benefits? Don't worry, Unique HR has your back. For over 30 years, our team of qualified professionals has been providing people-centered solutions to help businesses like yours navigate the heavy burden of running a business and managing their workforce. We're the PEO with a pulse, and we are just a phone call away. Call us today at 361-852-6392. Unique HR, the partner you can trust. And we're back. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Dan Kish, who is a distinguished senior fellow at the Institute for Energy Research, better known as IER. Dan, before the break, you you really had a, a point about what are we doing when we're looking at trying to electrify our military? Is that a safe and, and sound policy, energy policy for us? One, uh, your policy director, Ken Stein, actually testified before the House Natural Resource Committee, Subcommittee on Oversight and Investigations. And I want to read to you um, the Biden administration's executive overreach and its impact on American energy independence. He starts with, this is for the older people, you'll remember this, for the young ones listening, pay attention. For nearly 50 years, the constant overriding concern for the United States energy policy was shortened and then scarcity of oil and natural gas. Dependence on foreign oil was seen as a national security crisis. Numerous half-baked policy ideas, regulations, subsidies were spawned to address the perceived crisis, many of which still to today continue to distort markets and increase energy costs. Fuel-efficient mandates, ethanol subsidies and mandates, solar and wind subsidies, exporting control, export controls, excuse me, subsidized for domestic production. All of this and more was done in the name of energy independence and security all to have little effect. But today, he goes on to say, but today we have about achieved the long sought after energy security. Uh, Since lows in the mid twenties, the US has had more than double domestic energy production and almost doubled natural gas production. In 2019, the US became a net exporter for petroleum, lifting that export ban that had been in place for nearly 40 years. The U.S. became a net exporter of natural gas in 2017, and the U.S. was a net exporter of coal and refined products. The U.S. is the largest natural gas producer in the world. The position has completely changed this country's energy posture, making the United States the most energy secure it has been in at least a half a century in the 20th century. And he goes on to talk about the reason why and now I'll paraphrase, is because government got out of the way for once and let private markets take over. It's a really great 
testimony that I encourage our listeners to go to. It's on your website. And I'm going to give it to uh, our listeners at the end of this. But really, at the end of this testimony, he's talking about how the success did not come from the government. It came from years of experimenting with and perfecting hydraulic fracturing and and directional drilling. And it took companies taking risks to invest new areas, new formations, new depths with no guarantee of success. It took uh, government getting out of the way of exporting LNG and crude to prove new markets for the USA production. And now we see a lack in the government and the government almost seems hostile. It goes on, and I won't, in a matter of time, but I want to start with going back to, this is actually factual stuff. And now we're talking about, we actually have energy security, and to go back to your statement, your one of your opening statements, we have an administration and a and an energy secretary that is now clearly talking about trying to private, trying to electrify our military. Does this mean, want to comment, does this mean also our tanks, our planes? How do we rely on unreliable energy at this moment? I'm not knocking solar wind. I'm just saying they're not reliable just yet. If the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing, we have a problem. How do we do this with our military? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. The uh... Uh, we we don't, in essence. And since the secretary was strident in her testimony about uh, electrifying the military, she had to revisit that and go back to it. And now what they're talking about are non-tactical, uh, you know, the, the sorts of vehicles that, that would be on a base, um, uh, buying electric vehicles uh, to replace existing cars and that sort of thing. And I, I think the, the military was pushing back a little bit too because it's simply incomprehensible that we would transfer. Uh, 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 first of all, we don't know how to fly airplanes with batteries. Uh, uh, and you first, you know what I mean? Um <laughs> Not to mention projecting power in any significant way. We, for for what it's worth, we do have. If if the issue is carbon dioxide, that seems to be motivating everything. Uh, we do have the nuclear navy, which has been very successful in uh, projecting power for decades now, um, and and without the need for uh, China's uh, minerals or products or. Uh, oil from the Middle East or from anywhere else. Uh, but but overall, what, what they're talking about is this sort of child, I, I, I liken it to a childlike view of things. We'll just do it. Uh, we'll just make it happen. We'll, we'll, without consulting with or taking into consideration exactly what the costs of that are going to be, both in terms of, first of all, our National defense needs and and uh, and also the the uh, the cost of the technologies, which would be overwhelming to transfer over, take perfectly good vehicles and not use them and replace them with much more expensive, less capable, uh, honestly, vehicles uh, of of whatever type, even if they were on the base, as I say. So. Um, yeah, you know, if we, it's not we basically completed. 
if it's not your money, you typically really don't care. And and I'm really quite tired of seeing that. You know, when when we pulled out in the Middle East, how much did we leave behind of our military in the hands of these terrorists? And we did that. And 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 so now we're talking about electrifying, which is impossible. Uh, you mentioned that uh, it's almost childlike. And I wonder when you said that, it reminded me of the Jetson cartoon where everybody's driving around in these little uh, cars that are flying. We're not there yet. Maybe in the future, we're not there yet, but yet we are talking something similar. It's like, like yes, let's just electrify this. And this has real outcomes that have bad uh, outcomes if we're not careful. Let's take a quick break. Uh, I want to come back and get back on this topic, uh, drill down a little bit more, get out pie in the sky and cartoons and get back to the real world. Uh, let's take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Attention small and medium-sized business owners. Are you feeling overwhelmed with back office tasks like payroll, workers' compensation, federal regulations, safety laws, employment standards, and benefits? Don't worry, Unique HR has your back. For over 30 years, our team of qualified professionals has been providing people-centered solutions to help businesses like yours navigate the heavy burden of running a business and managing their workforce. We're the PEO with a pulse, and we are just a phone call away. Call us today at 361-852-6392. Unique HR, the partner you can trust and we're back you're listening to in the oil patch radio show my guest today is dan kish who is a distinguished senior fellow at the institute of energy research better known as iER uh dan before the break uh we were discussing how a lot of these policies that seem to be coming out from the secretary of energy uh as well as the biden administration uh jennifer Gramholm, Granholm seem to be very um, troubling in nature. Like, how do we do this? How do we get there in a uh, way that makes sense financially? Also, does not uh, put our military or the United States of America in any kind of uh, risk pertaining to is our military still strong and vibrant? And so I want to come back and visit that because. There's a lot of things happening. We mentioned I mentioned we have China doing war exercises, um, and Taiwan is on red alert. And you mentioned how troubling that would be for our supply chains because everything is coming out of China and Taiwan that we use. So we all remember what happened in COVID when we couldn't get access to medications, masks gloves, because China made them all. Now we're talking about an invasion that we don't really know where we will sit if this happens. On top of that, we have the Biden administration reducing our strategic petroleum reserve, the lowest it has been in 40 years or so. And we also now have our Secretary of Energy saying we're going to electrify with kind of unreliable, if you will, uh, electrifying our military, um, and I, I, I don't understand how how we are getting to this point where all of these things are coming together. Explain that to me, because I've never worked in the energy industry. I don't testify to poli- uh, to Congress. You do, but I'm trying to understand as as a citizen of the United States what is happening to our government when they are not taking these things into consideration. And it seems like to me, we're going down a dangerous path and need just one thing to go wrong. And we've got a problem. 
Talk to me about the SPR. Tell our listeners where we are with SPR, Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Right. Um, well, the SPR is at its lowest level since 1984, maybe a little later. Uh, last week, the uh, administration sold off 2.9 million barrels uh, as part of an ongoing sale program that they had planned. Uh, last year, they drew down the Strategic Petroleum Reserve by 260 million barrels uh, up until the time of the election. Uh, and it was pretty clear to most people that that was a political move. They were trying to get the price of gasoline down by flooding the market. But they also high-grade. They took the oil that our refiners wanted uh, and sold that. Uh, uh, Did China, right? Didn't China get a lot of that oil that came out they, of SPR? They, they bought some of it. Uh, they bought, I believe, at least 6 million barrels. Uh, most of it went to U.S. refiners, and uh, it, it was readily available, but there's a mix of qualities of oil in this SPR, and not to get down too much into weeds, but there's refiners are tuned to uh, take a particular type of of uh, oil uh, and and what they did is they sold all that off leaving things that they don't necessarily want or that will require expensive uh, adaptations to the refiners to be able to make it into product uh, efficient otherwise they'll just be wasting product uh, which they don't do and so and they announced the other day that they were going to solicit bids for purchasing three million barrels sometime soon uh, but they did that in december and nobody bid on it nobody sold them any oil uh because the price wasn't right so announcing you're going to buy back oil but if your price uh, doesn't match uh, the people who are selling it, uh, you're not going to get any. <laughs> you're not going to get any sellers to sell you any oil. So we'll see what happens. But uh, okay. we we are we we have reduced our security by about a half in terms of uh, what we've set aside for emergencies, and now we don't have it. Well, when we get back from break, I want to talk about the SPR and World War II and what won World War II. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side -side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three and six person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side -side owner study. And we're back. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Dan Kish, who is a distinguished senior fellow at the Institute of Energy Research, better known as IER. Dan, it seems like... Uh, the first part of the show has really been kind of all over the place, but then so are these energy policies coming out of the administration. It's hard to understand how we have such an abundance here in the United States, 
um, and we are unleashing it for the world. We have our allies, your, our European uh, friends that are looking for more energy. They need us to step up. And yet we're kind of the energy industry hamstrung with some of the regulations and the, uh, and the views uh, and the green movement that's happening now, mostly with this administration uh, and, uh, and the Senate. However, uh, you know, I want to try to help the American people understand there's a lot of different moving parts happening. I had uh, Dr. Scott Tinkle on as a guest last week from the University of Houston out of Austin. He's an amazing guy. He has a rate, he has a TV show helping what I do too, trying to educate what's happening. It's complicated. However, you know, he said, when did we, when do, why do we have to pick one of the other? Why do we, why can't we have sound energy policies using all of things in the right ways when they come along, when they're perfected, um, and it doesn't seem like that's what's happening. And we have such great discord happening as well because everybody has bought into one or the other. But I want I want you to talk to the listeners about the SBR, Strategic Petroleum Reserve, and it being so low. It's low right now. We have talks of China uh, invading Taiwan. We saw how quickly Russia invaded <clears throat> Ukraine. Is this wise to have? Uh, not enough access to our, our critical, you know, energy needs that we would need if we had an attack. Um, can you remind the listeners, you know, what really was one of the main deciding factors in World War II that won that war for us? And didn't it have something to do with an abundance of good old oil and gas? I mean, I'm just trying to let our listeners understand we all need to be careful of the environment and, and watch and try to be as green as we can, but we can't also lose sight of what is the most important resource we have right now, and that is oil and gas. Yeah, well, at, at the basis of everything, energy is the master resource. That's what we like to call it, uh, because it makes all other things possible. It makes agriculture possible. It makes electricity possible. It makes, uh, uh, it, it makes transportation of goods. And from various, you know, especially given that we're a huge country, uh, you pump water with it. You do this, you do that. It, it's essential. It's, it's a building block for all petrochemicals. Uh, which are so essential to our daily lives, uh, whether they're in a hospital or or schools or uh, just everyday products. Everything I'm looking at around my desk right now is is made from petrochemicals, largely. And uh, it's become increasingly so. And World War II uh, is the, it was over resources. Resources always uh, are at the base of, 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 Wars. Uh, the the uh, Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor happened so that it would push us back from being closer to be able to defend the West Indies, which is uh, where oil production was, which Japan needed to be able to project force throughout the region. Uh, the uh, Hitler's invasion of Russia, uh, after being allied with them for the invasion of Poland, happened as a consequence of. Uh, his desire for more energy and food and land and all the rest of it. But at its base, the Battle of Stalingrad was was essentially fought, uh, uh, which is one of the most epic battles in history, uh, was, was fought for energy. Energy is key to everything, and you don't mess around with it. You don't 
uh, take childlike decisions with it because it makes people's lives miserable. It's just, you know, taking the, getting the kids around, uh, the things that we take for granted, getting groceries, getting, being able to do things, go see relatives, uh, visit sick people, uh, sick family members, take care of them. It's all based upon available energy and lots of it. And it's made our life that much better, which is why our life expectancy has grown. And to take it away, people will fight for that. That's why China is building two to three coal plants a week. We haven't built one in 20 years. And Mm -hmm. in fact, we're just tearing them down. And the Biden administration just came out with a regulation that will basically shut them all down, along with natural gas plants, under the guise of climate change again. So uh, I don't know what the motivating factor is. uh, but I don't like it, and and it's certainly not getting enough media attention. They seem to skip right over it. So I'm happy that shows like yours exist uh, to help educate people about this because uh, blood and oil uh, go hand in hand. And and by the way, getting off of oil wouldn't necessarily mean the blood stops because then it's minerals. And like I said, China rules the world of that. There you go. Exactly. So, you know, this has been an unusual show for me because I normally try to stick to my talking points. I try to, you know, communicate what's really happening, if it's a policy or something we're working on. But there's just too much coming out from this administration that is troubling. And and I'm trying to, you know, help the listeners understand it. I can take one show at a time and we do try. But when you put it all together the way you and I have today, there's trouble everywhere, it appears. It's a troubling administration when we talk about energy policy. One of the things that we discussed in the state of energy in Corpus Christi, and again, I bring that back to our listeners because that is the energy port in the United States. If they are shipping out the majority of crude oil as number one and number two in LNG to take it to our allies in Europe and all over the world, it's a vital port. It's important they understand their position. For for us, it was that when you go to the polls and you put, you know, you push that button, you should really not everybody talks about it, but drill down who has good solid energy policies. And who does not? Because as this thing continues to cycle out of control in the way of these poor policies or, or, or heavy-handed regulation, um, you know, you you made a point. Without solid energy, oil and gas, we have nothing because nothing else is produced without it. So where are we going except becoming more and more vulnerable in a very unstable world? And we're talking about China. Let's come back from break and talk about uh, transportation uh process uh, the rules that they're creating to reduce methane emission and talk about the refineries that you were discussing as well. You're listening to the Oil Patch Radio Show and we'll be right back. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, 
advertising and social media, and search engine optimization. All of these areas really affect how Google ranks your entire listing. So if ranking on page one is your goal, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile. We'll be in contact with you within 24 hours. Once again, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com slash business profile. Start dealing with a company you can trust and always find. And we're back. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio show. My guest today is Dan Fish, who is Distinguished Senior Fellow for uh, the Institute of Energy Research, better known as IER. Dan, we've covered a lot in this show, um, and I'm glad you've joined me. I want to talk about two other points, uh, more policies and more things that are coming out from the administration that's going to make it a little bit harder here uh, when we talk about energy. Um, let's talk about the Department of Transportation proposed rules to reduce methane emissions. Um, can you briefly tell us what is the... Uh, rules that they are proposing and how likely will it go into effect and what will be the negative outcome coming out from the EPA? Yeah, what they've proposed is that they're going to propose a much more stringent um, methane, natural gas, uh, leakage regime for uh, pipelines. Uh, honestly, they don't, yeah doesn't amount to a hill of beans at this point. Uh, obviously, whenever someone has a leak, they're going to try to take care of it as uh, quickly as possible. Nobody wants that, whether it's a gas line on your car or uh, a natural gas pipeline delivering things because you're, uh, you're wasting a product that has value for, uh, right. for your company and for people. Um, I, I have to tell you, this is... Setting aside all the rhetoric about that they would have to defend this particular regulation, this is just one of a slew of more regulations designed to make it more difficult to produce and consume and transport uh, natural gas in the United States. We've already seen the attacks on gas stoves and furnaces and you name it. Uh, New York State has banned uh, new construction with natural gas in it. Some California communities have. And so remember, when President Biden came in, he said that his climate attack, in essence, his climate, uh, I don't know what he called it, but it, I'm going to call it an attack because that's what it is, was going to be a whole of government approach. And that means that from everything from OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, to the Department of Interior in terms of leasing for oil and gas onshore and offshore on federal lands, which are enormous in terms of their size, uh, as well as clamping down on uh, supposed leakage, which will simply result in tremendous amounts of money uh, at a time when pipe layers and uh, steam fitters and uh, welders and the like uh, uh, haven't been uh, have been frowned upon in terms of. Uh, uh, wrongly so. These are the people that build our country. Uh, but there are there are too few of them, and yet they're jamming all of this into the system, which they realize will make it much more expensive to do the same work that if it was done in a normal course of business, could be absorbed by companies. That means consumers' bills go up. Then they That's can right. tell you that their forms of electricity are cheaper than the ones they've made artificially more expensive. That's what it's all about. 
Well, you know, you mentioned all these regulatory agencies, and there's a lot of them. There's BLM, there's Waters Over America, there's EPA, you name it, there's an agency over it. And 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 the, the crazy thing is, is when Mike was discussing Mike Summers with API, that the need of energy reform, so it's more consistent for businesses in any energy sector. So even solar and wind are going to have problems because there's so much regulation. There, It's like the Wild West, and here comes a Trump or a Biden, and, and the policies just flip-flop around. It's really hard. You know, think about if, if our listeners. Think about if you every day was a different day or every four years, everything just changed what you knew because you can. And, and now this administration is using their entire arsenal of regulatory agencies to continue to make a matter much worse, which by the way, is just gonna cause more pain in your pocket uh, with inflation here. <laughs> let's, let's, let, I wanna switch gears before we end the show and talk about the release of the uh, power plant rule too. Another uh, a great opportunity to get in here. Okay, here we go. Tell us about what is the problem uh, with the Biden administration releasing the power <laughs> plant rule? How is that gonna affect um, the uh, you know the EPA is is uh, introducing it. How is this going to affect coal plants? And that's going to give us less of an abundance of energy. And again, this is in the name of climate change. So everything always is put in the way of climate change out there. That you know, this is going to be great. They don't ever talk about the unintended consequences. So go ahead. How are we going to have enough energy <laughs> if they're getting accomplished what they want? Well, what's fascinating about all this is that. When you put all the policies together, the electrification of vehicles, the uh, banning of gas stoves, the or the you know changes that make it so that people would buy electric stoves instead, uh, doing away with gas furnaces, doing this, it all leads to more electrification of our system. Uh, we're, we're talking about a doubling to quintupling of the size of our transmission system, which has been built over a century of time. And they're talking about making it two to five times larger within 20 years in order to reach their goals. And in, in the case of this particular power plant rule, the EPA came down and said, gee, we're going to uh, basically reduce carbon dioxide. And uh, it's all part of the climate. Uh, we'll see what happens to it. But in essence, it's the most radical and most expensive regulation ever put forward by an administration in history, because it would result in the closure of almost all of our coal plants, which provide about 20% of our overall power and, and a huge amount of base load, which is very, very important on demand power, and natural gas plants. Uh, it incentivizes both coal and natural gas to use a carb, carbon capture, basically capture carbon dioxide uh, and store it in the ground, which there's only one plant in the world that has that. It's very expensive and very preliminary. And yet they're saying, go ahead and do all this. And the real design is to tell utilities to get rid of this stuff and go to the wind and solar we want you to build, which, of course, are made in China. It seems like to me, Dan, all roads are leading to China in the, in the mess that we are making for ourselves with uh, policies that don't... These policies, I mean, as, as a kid, I remember two things. I remember I lived in Houston, and I remember when we were running out of what we thought resources here, and that's when the export ban came into place. But I remember as a kid being in lines that were two to four miles long, and boy, you did not want to be the last person that the gas pump, that gas ran out on you because it was a good chance you were going to get physically assaulted 
That is what happens. Okay. And then two, to understand that we are removing all of this stuff. How are we going to have enough energy to supply our allies as well as for ourselves? You know, when that happened in the 70s, it was not a good thing. And it almost appears as though this is kind of the plan we're going back to. And we all remember, if you're here in Texas, we were, you know, we're one bad winter away. I know you're in D.C., but here in Texas, we had a couple of storms. Yuri took us offline for like a week and a lot of people froze to death. And so now we have a ban on electric, I mean, on gas stoves, you have to have electric. So what happens when I was a kid, we had blow, uh, rolling blackouts because we didn't have enough. So if, if we return to that, you know, or uh, uh, something happens that takes us offline, how are we all going to survive if everything is electrified? And now we're talking about doing it with our military as well. I'll give you the last words. It doesn't seem like a, like this, we're moving down the right path with everything, all roads leading to China. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I would say uh, putting our, putting our energy future in the hands of China probably doesn't make a lot of sense. And there's one thing I know about Americans, you know, uh, and nobody I know has ever gone to a doctor and said, gee, doctor, I've got too much energy. I do want to thank you, Dan, for being a guest on In the Oil Patch radio show. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.